you are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound gets sponsorship from Leaves, coming to a yard near you this fall. Don't leave huh? home without them. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. My name is Steve, and I host the show. Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Each week, I invite a guest who joins me on the podcast to share with us about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Now, before we meet our guest today, I want to talk about the word hybrid. You'll hear later in the episode that I'm a little bit confused about the definition of hybrid, so I thought I would clear that up for myself here, but also for all of us, so we're all on the same page. Now first let's talk about the etymology of the word hybrid. You know, we all kind of know what it means, it's when you blend two things together, Uh, but what does it actually come from? And it actually comes from a Latin word, which is something like hybrida or hybrida, which means the crossing of a tame sow with a wild boar. So that makes sense. And then sometime in the 1700s, somebody started using it for any kind of cross of things. And that's where we have it now. But what I was confused about later in the episode was like, what is the definition of a hybrid? So you'll remember in an earlier episode, I talked about the definition of a cultivar, which is uh, any plant that has been purposefully bred by a human to have certain characteristics, right? Sometimes those can be hybrids, but sometimes not. So let's take a tomato, for example. If I have a tomato that's growing in my yard and I propagate the seeds every year and each year I select a, and each year I select the plants from those seeds that have the best qualities that I'm looking for until I have a, the best tomato that meets all the characteristics I'm looking for, that would be a cultivar, but it would not be a hybrid because I'm not blending the genetics of two different plants together. It's just the same lineage going forward. Okay? Now, let's talk about hybrids. Now, there's a few different categories of hybrids, and this is where I was a little confused. Um, but in the, if we take a tomato as an example, the first kind of hybrid is an intraspecies hybrid, so a hybrid within the same species. So if we have a tomato, let's say we have like a beefsteak tomato and like a Roma tomato. If I crossbred those two together, the offspring of those two tomatoes, would be a hybrid, an intraspecies hybrid, because they're both the same species. Next, and a little bit more interesting, is an interspecies hybrid. This is where you cross two different species within the same genus. And this doesn't always work, apparently, um, but this is where you cross two species within the same genus, and then that offspring is an interspecies hybrid. And maybe the most famous example of this, it's not a plant, but you'll probably know it, is the liger, which is a cross between a lion and a tiger, both in genus Pantera, but different species, but they can actually, in some cases, reproduce to create uh, a hybrid uh, cat that is called the liger, which is pretty interesting. And uh, spoiler alert, the plant we're going to talk about a little bit later is an interspecies hybrid. So that is pretty interesting. And then finally, and maybe the most interesting, I didn't know about this until very recently, is what is called a intergeneric hybrid. And this is where you have a cross between two different things. In this case, we're talking about plants 
that are in different gene geni genuses um and that's normally doesn't happen actually one of the things that like specifies a species is that they can't reproduce with something else and so definitely outside in the genus that normally can't happen but there's some cases where it happens i'll put a link in the show notes to some other cases but we actually had this come up on the show a few episodes ago when we were talking about the franklin tree so the franklin tree is the only plant in its genus, right? Because of its really interesting story. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. It's super fascinating. So there's only one plant in the Franklinia genus, but a botanist was able to cross the Franklin tree with a tree in the Gordonia genus to make the Gordlinia genus. And so that is a intergeneric hybrid, which is super fascinating. I did also do a little bit of reading about uh, interfamilial hybrids, so crossing creatures in two different families but i i guess it's not clear whether that's even possible in the cases where it has been documented it's not 100 sure that that actually happened confusing controversial topic but interesting nonetheless but yes today we're going to be talking about an interspecies hybrid and that's some definitions of the word hybrid for you it really helped me hopefully it helped you and let's just meet our guest he could have grown anything anything in the world. He used to talk about growing a peanut-grape hybrid. One plant, one sandwich. Hi, Jess. Welcome to Rootbound. Hi. Thank you for having me. Do you have a plant to share with us today? Yes. I'm here to talk about a lemon that is commonly known as the Meyer lemon. Interesting. I, 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 I admit, I, I know the word Meyer lemon. I don't know if I've ever purchased one myself. And I don't know what makes it different than a normal lemon. So uh, I'm really excited to hear about that. But let's start with first, why did you choose the Meyer lemon? Why is it meaningful to you? So this lemon, um, it's very common here in Southern California, where I live. Um, It's also common in actually throughout California. It grows really well here. But um, I have a background as a pastry chef, and it is very common in restaurant kitchens here that mm. focus on farm-to-table menus. And it is, it's a very wonderful lemon because it is a cross between a mandarin and a, potentially a Lisbon lemon. It hasn't been confirmed, but it is a sweeter lemon. And oh. it is, yeah, it's very smooth rind. It has a smooth rind, thin, um, it's, sorry, it's a smooth rind that is thin, and so it doesn't travel well, so it doesn't really do well commercially, but ah. it has gained popularity, and so it is more common now, like I remember seeing it, you know, shipped from from California to New York, like the little label no. on the lemon I saw in New York said it was from oh, California. Wow. Yeah, so it is definitely more popular now, um, thanks to some celebrity chefs who have put it out there. Um, and it is—it's quite wonderful because it's—it grows so well here. People are always giving it away. So oh. my neighbor, who I actually have not met, but um, their tree grows over into the <laughs> property where I live. They're nice. sharing lemons with me. Um, and another neighbor who's a few blocks away always has a box out by their mailbox that wow. says free on it. And it's full of Meyer lemons. Um, so That's yeah, amazing. I, 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 mm-hmm. 
I was just saying, I used to live in California, and I feel like it's the amazing thing about Southern California is all these massive fruit trees that are kind of just like, there's a bit more of a communal spirit to them, and I think that's not the same. I live on the East Coast now, and, and I feel like it's not the same. When people have a fruit tree, first of all, there are different kinds of fruits that don't have as long as seasons, I feel. And also, we've got winter and stuff like that, so there's never like, I don't know, it's, it's not as common, but yeah, I used to live in California and know, know about the people whose trees you could like pull the fruit off when you're walking by or my uh, great grandpa had a lot it wasn't a Meyer lemon I'm pretty sure it was just like a some other more basic lemon and orange and avocado so many avocados anyway oh, it's yeah. such a really cool phenomenon of living in Southern California is those like really cool fruit trees that you can get there yes yes um, so yeah what drew me to this lemon is just my appreciation for it as an eater as someone who makes food um, but I, in learning more about it, I was just Googling its origin when I started teaching fermentation lessons. Mm. I used it in preserved lemon recipes. And I, I was very curious about its origin and was very surprised to learn that it was brought to the U.S. by a fruit explorer who, um, who worked for the USDA. And this was... Um, over a century ago, he he was a Dutch man who, um, yeah, was assigned. He was on assignment in China, and he found this lemon right outside of Beijing and brought it to the U.S. and it was named after him. So, uh, yeah, in learning this story, I, I thought, wow, that is so cool. First of all, that somebody had this job. I don't uh -huh. know if this is still a position that somebody has today, but I I loved learning about his story. But at the same time, I felt kind of uncomfortable with mm. his name being on this fruit that came mm -hmm. from the country my family is from. <laughs> Not to make it totally personal, <laughs> sure, sure. you know. It's I think it's a it's a very um, it's a story that probably anyone could relate to like if something is from a particular origin it should have some I mean it doesn't have to be in its name but I just felt kind of um I just kind of questioned you know the identity of this fruit being erased yeah. as an immigrant living in the states I kind of felt an affinity <laughs> with this yeah fruit. And um, I just felt like it would be really interesting if I, you know, as an educator were to, to just find some way to make that connection as I introduced this wonderful fruit to my students, I actually started calling it the Mandarin lemon or the Beijing cool. lemon. And that's kind of my, <laughs> my little that's thing. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really awesome. I, I, you know, that's a really interesting thing. I feel like that happens a lot with plants where they, mm -hmm. they get this name that's not attached to where they're from, and it has to do with you know, colonialism and and how yeah. you know things get spread around by certain people. Uh, and actually, the mm -hmm. plant I'm going to talk about has a little similar story there. So that's that's really interesting. Um, when you mentioned Meyer, when you said Meyer lemon, I didn't want to look anything up, but just like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I was reading about the origin of the Bradford pear ah. um, and the Bradford pear is the calorie pear also brought to the U S by Meyer, um, which is, which is very interesting. Cause yeah, I, I, 
I was, so I was like, when you said Meyer Lemon, it was like, I wonder if it's the same Meyer who brought that, but it totally, <laughs> totally is him. Yeah. It's a very interesting guy. It was his job to just like find cool fruits and bring them to the U.S., which in some cases worked out well. In the case of the Bradford pear, it has not been great as far as invasive qualities, but, uh, but, yes. but other ones, uh, the, I think the Meyer Lemon seems to be doing just well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Well, what about what about some uh, recipes? Like, how tell me about some of these preserved lemon things? This sounds really cool. Yeah, for sure. So I was actually introduced to the Meyer lemon um, when I was visiting a friend in the Bay Area, and she pulled out a, a cookbook that was from Alice Waters Restaurant, and mm-hmm. apparently her pastry chef. Uh, Lindsay Shear had developed recipes because she, uh, based on the Meyer lemon, inspired by the Meyer lemon, because she loved it so much. And mm-hmm. so she definitely had a huge impact, I think, on on the cooking scene when it comes to introduction of Meyer lemons in, in home cooking um, and also in restaurants. But this recipe that was shared with me was for a butter cookie that had Meyer lemon zest in it. So my Mm. introduction to it was all about the zest. And it is so floral. It's really quite lovely. I I think it's pretty close um, to a yuzu, the rind. Uh Like it has, yeah, it has that extreme floral intensity. And so I love, I love that rind. Um, And it, it ends up making a wonderful preserved lemon because when you preserve the lemon, you can use the entire lemon. You're not just using the interior, which is what we usually Mm -hmm. do when we use lemons, like aside from the outer zest. But Uh when you preserve a lemon in salt, it almost creates a marmalade type of consistency. And it's, of course, salted, so it's not sweet. Um, aside from the natural sweetness in the fruit. And I I love roasting chicken. And if you combine preserved lemon, just kind of chop it into wedges, um, smaller chunks if you like, and marinate the chicken however you normally do with salt, um, maybe some herbs. And you throw it in the oven on a hot pan with the chunks of lemon and it kind of marinates the chicken as it's roasting. And mm. when you serve it, you can actually cut the chicken into small, sorry, the, the citrus into small pieces and serve it with the chicken. And you can eat those pieces of the lemon. And uh, so, so the wonderful. rind is like much more like delicate than when you think of the regular yes. lemon. Yeah, it doesn't have that thick like that pith. Thick, or... spongy. No, it's yeah. not like that at all. Yeah. It's yeah, really okay, nice. and that makes sense when you think about uh, a mandarin has a similar mm-hmm. rind. Interesting. By the way, I was thinking yeah. that uh, your plant might be the first hybrid we've talked about on the show, which is very interesting. Oh, which is a huge thing cool, in plants, but first. I don't think we've yeah. I don't think we've talked about one before. Well, the the Bradford pear is kind of a hybrid, but it's not of two different species. It's well, I don't know if mandarin and lemon are different species. Anyway, this biological stuff with mixing things gets confusing, but I, I know it's such a big yeah. deal. But I think this is the first very, very clear hybrid, which is super interesting. Mm-hmm. That is. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and it happens you, to be frost resistant compared to most other citrus, oh, which is why it did so well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Beijing. Oh, that's really fascinating. So I wonder. Yeah. I wonder how well they grow on the East Coast because you know there's a lot of very mm. similar. Um, the the biology of the East Coast is pretty similar to the the eastern part of China, and that's why we have so many. Uh, invasive plants from China here, and I assume, which oh. we don't hear about much, but I'm pretty sure there are similarly U.S., you know, North American plants that are invasive in China because with this, like, international trade, the, the plants mm-hmm. that thrive well in one place, they get to a similar place, and now they get there, and they have no uh, they have no competitors and no, like, uh, um, hold on one second. My cat is scratching something. She oh. don't stop it. <laughs> um, they, they, sorry, uh, sorry, Chino. Thank you for 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 stopping. Um, <laughs> they have no competitors or no uh, or no. Um, they have no competitors or no um, predators, and so the things spread very well. So, but that makes me wonder because I was looking the other day. I was like, I want it would be cool to grow some citrus, but you don't think about like DC area as a place to grow a lot of citrus. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I'm going to look into that. I wonder if I could grow Meyer lemon here. That's very interesting. It doesn't get that cold yeah. in winter here. We had yeah, no snow this year. cool. Yeah. You should interesting. definitely I'm check try. That out. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to look into that. Thank you for that inspiration. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about the, uh, the Beijing lemon? Yeah. So I, I've been trying really hard to see if there are Chinese recipes that, incorporate ah. this lemon in cooking and it's been very hard um it's been hard to find it i actually can't speak um or i i can speak conversational chinese but i can't read or write and mm. so searching for things online is something i have to ask my parents to help with and uh-huh. it's been kind of hard to get their help with that lately (laughs) i tried (laughs) and it's going to be an ongoing process um but yeah i I thought well maybe lemon chicken is connected somehow and of course when i looked it up i found out that it has a cantonese origin it's from Uh, okay okay and it's it was popularized in western restaurants um Mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm still I'm still searching for <laughs> some answers there. I, w- I you, it's okay if you don't know this, but I'm curious if there is uh, like what the Mandarin word for this specific lemon is. Ah, uh, that would be yeah, so I got close, but I I think that there's some confusion, and I definitely need to ask my my mom or dad to help me clarify. But I came across the name. Shang Limong, which means mm-hmm. fragrant lemon. Mm. And yeah, I found that just Googling. And and then I came across another page that said Shang Limong is citron. <laughs> so now okay. I'm not sure. It's an but, interesting thing because that, that history of plants can be so convoluted. Mm-hmm. And it, it is very possible that even though this lemon was found in Beijing, its potential it doesn't continue to be used in that way in China, right? Because particularly right. with citrus, you know, fruits have to be grafted to be 
become a true right like you can't just plant the mm. seeds of a Meyer lemon and get a new Meyer lemon it will be a new variety so you have to keep mm. grafting it so it, it it takes a decision of a guy like in this case Meyer to say okay this is the one I want to keep going now it's possible in Beijing they were doing that with that tree too but it's also possible that it was just one cultivar or maybe a couple that didn't yeah. continue on it, it, it but I, yeah, it's very fascinating, and I've, I've had, I, I'm at an even more disadvantage of you because I do not speak any Mandarin. But I've had so many times where I like want to find out the story of a plant, and a lot of times those origins go back to China or some you know country where they speak you know some language that's associated with Chinese, and it's a very mm-hmm. it's a very hard for someone who only speaks English to try to go down that rabbit hole, you know, because you're you're relying on someone else's translation, and that brings its whole uh, context with it, and you you know it, it's really difficult. Yeah, it is. Um, but I'm going to keep searching. I And I should mention, I did come across one blog that is by this, this it, a, a English-speaking Chinese woman who lives in Beijing. And she was very excited to find a local fruit vendor had Meyer lemons. Oh, and wow. Yeah, I, I emailed her to see if she had noticed any Meyer lemons showing up in local dishes <laughs> uh-huh. I haven't heard back from her but I'm I'm going to keep on digging and hopefully she'll get back to me <laughs> so cool uh yeah let me know if that happens um yeah that that's that's very fascinating yeah send me a link to that I'll put that in the show notes I definitely want to read that as well that's so Ooh, cool yeah for sure um do we miss anything about Meyer lemon what other fun facts dazzling details let's see I I could add that the first time I tasted one it was from a backyard a backyard tree that uh was at this house I lived at briefly and I was very confused by it because it's lower <laughs> in acidity <laughs> and I love acid so when my roommate told me oh you could pick lemons back there whenever you need a lemon um and I had a taste I thought it was kind of gross, to be honest. And I was, a, <laughs> <laughs> I was a college student, so I was, you know, expanding my palate. I just moved back to the U.S. from Thailand, where you know, acid is is pretty high in a lot of <laughs> daily uh-huh. cooking. And so I just, I just thought this is such a strange lemon. I'm not into it. Um, and I preferred picking lemons from the front yard, which were probably Lisbon or Eureka lemon. And so it wasn't until my friend introduced it to me, you know, in zest form for that cookie recipe that I really came to appreciate it. <laughs> when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I read that once on a can of lemonade. But I like to think that it applies to life. Well, thank you for sharing about Meyer lemon with me. Do you mind if I share about a plant with you? Super excited to learn about your plant. Okay, so it's when I'm trying to choose the plant, sometimes it's obvious with with just what's going on in my garden at the time, or sometimes it's obvious because it's a correlation to what the person I'm going to talk about is. This time, I will admit, the only reason I chose this plant at the beginning is because I felt like the episode title would sound good because it rhymes. So you chose Meyer lemon and I chose cinnamon. So it has a nice ring to nice. it. Meyer lemon and cinnamon. <laughs> but as I started thinking, and I'll get to this at the very end about you know why I think it's meaningful to me very specifically, but I do think cinnamon is just so it's just an important spice to like everybody. It's such a 
massively influential spice. And as I read more about it, uh, I understood that even more. So it's a really interesting plant, and I, I learned so much about it. So I'm going to go through some of the things I learned. I don't know if you, if you want to chime in with anything about cinnamon. I'm sure as a pastry chef, you've used a lot of cinnamon in your life. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, if you have anything to comment, please jump in. But um, So cin- cinnamon, the spice, is the inner bark of plants in the genus Cinnamonum. And there's a handful of different plants that are in that genus. But really, when we talk about cinnamon, at least in the United States, we're basically talking about two different plants. There's Cinnamonum verum and Cinnamonium cassia. Cinnamonum verum, which means true cinnamon, and I, cassia is just cassia. I think it is actually rooted in the Chinese word cassia. Um, Cinnamonum verum is also called Ceylon cinnamon. So that's where I was saying about this name. It's still known as Ceylon cinnamon, even though... Ceylon is now called Sri Lanka, but Ceylon was the mm. British word for that place, but it's still called Ceylon Cinnamon, even though Ceylon was a colonial name. So that's, you know, an interesting thing. So maybe we should call it just true cinnamon or Sri Lankan cinnamon. But anyway, I bought some the other day and it still says <laughs> Ceylon Cinnamon on it. Oh. <laughs> so that, that happens. Um, I, th- I realized when I started reading about it that I don't know if I've ever purposefully had true cinnamon i think often when you buy cinnamon in the store in the united states you're getting the cassia cinnamon which is a similar tasting but different in a few ways and some people um some people are real like purists and say that like only the sri lankan cinnamon is the real cinnamon and everything else is kind of like not good i don't think it's that that true like it's more it's more nuanced than that but the flavor, mm-hmm. and I, I bought some today just to try it. I don't, do, you have, do you have any experience between these two different cinnamons? Yes. Um, so I have used the Chinese one, the cassia, in tea. Mm-hmm. It's also used mm. in braises. Um, mm. My mom uses it for a braised beef recipe. And I think, yeah, it. I remember looking into it at some point because I thought, well, who is who decided that this one is called true <laughs> cinnamon uh, yeah, and sure, the other yeah. one is just not true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading that um, the, the cassia, it has a very distinct taste that is yes. less desirable. Uh, but that's, I, I, I guess, think... according to your certain palates, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I... The one thing I did read about just, like, chemically is that true cinnamon oh. has much lower levels of a chemical called coumarin, which mm-hmm. can add a little bit more bitterness. And coumarin is, is interesting because uh, it's a, it's a uh, like, controlled food additive in the United States. So, like, something oh. with coumarin in it. Because it is, it is technically toxic in higher doses, coumarin. However, I, I feel like the FDA in like the 50s kind of went overboard with a bunch of different things and, and, and decided it was toxic in rats at high levels and then just called it toxic in general. But mm, I think people say now that if you, you would have to have so much coumarin to be toxic that no one would ever do that. Same thing happened with sassafras, I think. Um, mm. Anyway, so whether it's really there's any negatives with the levels of coumarin, coumarin or not, it is true that the Cinnamonum verum has 18 times less coumarin than the Cinnamonum cassia. So that is like as far as like the flavor mm. that the that additional component does change the flavor fairly different. And I was smelling two of them today, the, the one I bought uh, 
because I thought I, I realized I, I didn't even know there was more than one cinnamon. I was uh, I was smelling them both, and yeah, the smell is is similar, but even with a I have a bad nose. Even with my bad nose, I could tell the difference. I think. Yeah, the cassia is much more pungent in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And I think I can see it making more sense in a in a more. Uh, and the less sweet dishes, I think you it could work mm-hmm. well in, in like a like you said braised beef. I feel like that mm-hmm. that you want to get that flavor to come through more. One more just chemical note: the chemical cinnama aldehyde is the primary component that gives cinnamon its cinnamony flavor. So, for whatever that's worth. Uh. Okay, um, true well true cinnamon. Like I said, the cinnamon from Sri Lanka. Um, the difference, and this is why I think I've never had a cinnamon stick in my whole life that wasn't cassia, is the the cinnamon sticks of the Sri Lankan cinnamon are apparently much thinner and crumbly. Like you can crumble it more with your hand, whereas the cassia ones are more like little sticks that are pretty hard, right? And and so mm-hmm. I've never known a stick to be like fine in any way every time I've had cinnamon sticks. And in the U.S., there's like no... <laughs> It's very difficult to know which one you're getting. I think in most cases, if it just says cinnamon, you're getting cassia. But there's, I think mm-hmm. there's no requirement to say what it is, which is it's pretty interesting to think about. Like this plant huh. can be imported, and they're two entirely. I mean, they're different. They're in the same genus, but they are different species. And the fact that mm-hmm. they can both just be called cinnamon, and there's no like requirement to like list what you're getting, is pretty interesting to me. But I didn't realize yeah, until I is. I went to this, I went to the store the other day to try to get some like Sri Lankan cinnamon, and I realized now the. It seems to be that the, at least in the couple of grocery stores I went to, and a few different brands of spices, the uh, the standard today is to call cassia cinnamon and Sri Lankan cinnamon Ceylon cinnamon. So like, and the Ceylon yeah. cinnamon is is far more expensive, right? It is a it is like a more rare and more expensive. So, but I feel like in the U.S., if you get cinnamon, most likely you're getting cinnamon cassia, unless you specifically try to find Ceylon cinnamon, and that would be cinnamonium. Verum, but maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think there's any requirement of how to name it, which is weird. That is weird. <laughs> okay, so um, <laughs> bear with me here. I I promise you this is a real thing. Okay. So, have you ever heard of cinnamon, cinnamon birds? No. <laughs> okay. All right. Bear with me. Back in like early cinnamon trade days. The story was that there was these giant birds that lived on these cliffs and they made their nests from cinnamon sticks. And how they harvested cinnamon was they would put bait down at the bottom of the cliffs and then the big birds would come down to try to get this meat and as they flew off, they would break off sticks from their nest and then people would collect the cinnamon sticks. (laughs) Wow. And this is a true thing that people actually believed, but it is not true at all. But people believe this for hundreds of years. Literally for hundreds of years, people believe this is where cinnamon came from, was from the nest of the cinnamon bird, also known as the cinnamologus. And the reason why, which is so fascinating, the reason why is because the, the, the Middle Eastern traders who had, who knew where to get cinnamon had a monopoly on the market. And they basically just told this like wild story (laughs) <laughs> to to throw people off the trail of where your real, cinnamon really came from. Wow. And, <laughs> and and for hundreds of years a cinnamon was being traded since as early uh as early into Egypt as 2000 BC and as early into Europe as 500 BC so this trade in cinnamon is very old. 
but mm-hmm. Europeans didn't know where cinnamon came from until like the 1400s. So, so a good story. The cinnamon, the cinnamon bird. <laughs> I, I, I was so amazed by that story. I was like, so funny. And there's, there's, um, I think uh, Herodotus is a, a Greek writer, and he wrote about this, and a couple other Greek writers wrote about it, and then I forget some other guy finally said, "This is not true. This is just a story that is told by these guys trying to trick us." Hold on a second. <laughs> Cheeto, Cheeto, okay. stop meowing, buddy. Come here, bud. I'm gonna bring him. Oh, okay. Come here. Come here, Cheeto. Yeah, he likes to be on my lap when I'm on calls. It's like his thing. Okay, here, say, say hi, Cheeto. Hi, Cheeto. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so the cinnamon bird is not real, but it is something that people really believed for an incredibly long time, which is really amazing. <laughs> um, I love that. <laughs> going back into the writings uh, in in. Uh, Cinnamon is first found in Chinese writings going back to 2800. Likely cinnamon cassia, just because of where it's grown. I, I but, but yeah, it, it's, it was being written about, so used probably longer ago than that. So it's one of the like the the oldest internationally traded spices. You know, it's really fascinating that history. Hmm. Um, and those Middle Eastern traders maintained a monopoly for so long, and then it was finally it was the Portuguese in around 1500 that discovered quote, unquote, discovered uh, Sri Lanka and then realized, oh, this is where cinnamon comes from and like, you know, did what um, did what colonists and colonialists do uh, and did what colonists and capitalists do. It was the Dutch East India Company that basically took over Mm. Sri Lanka to get cinnamon. And this is so, I mean, cinnamon has been around for so long and it was there at this kind of this real birth of like, modern capitalism we have today which is really fascinating um yeah the 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 portuguese were like oh this is cinnamon we have control of cinnamon now now the portuguese had the monopoly they had wrested it away from these middle eastern traders and took over sri lanka and at first they started just harvesting the wild cinnamon which is what the indigenous people of sri lanka had been doing and trading for thousands of years but they realized that demand was too much which that's what capitalism does (laughs) so much demand that they um that they started cultivating it. Okay, that's cool. But because they started cultivating it, there was an oversupply and the price began to drop so much that then the Dutch started burning the cinnamon to destroy it to drive the price back up. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that is like, just the quintessential capitalism. It reminds me, this is like totally not plant related, but it's like the same story. I, when I was in high school, I worked at a blockbuster video. And one day, my boss's job was to sit out back by the dumpster with a hammer and smash VHS tapes. Because oh <laughs> we weren't we weren't renting them anymore, but there was no like financial model that made sense to give them away because giving them away would like affect like the price of the market. And so he just had to destroy them. Same thing that the Dutch did with cinnamon back in like 1600 or something. Yeah. And then the British East India company kicked the Dutch out and then they conquered the the cinnamon monopoly. um, Mm. And, and then had that basically until, you know, not that long ago until like, you know, Sri Lanka, um, in the end of uh, colonial, you know, British colonialism, or at least as much as it has ended. Uh, so, really fascinating story of such international trade of this really interesting plant. Okay, going to try to. I've got so much to say. I've got I got three more things <laughs> to say. One, 
how is cinnamon really collected? Do you know how, how we get the cinnamon sticks? I did see a YouTube video. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I found one too. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I'll describe mm-hmm. it to the listeners. If you have anything to chime in, let me know. So I said it's the inner bark of this genus Cinnamonum. So, um, you know, places where they grow it, you know, either the Chinese variety or in Sri Lanka. And there's also different varieties in Indonesia and a few other places, um, different different species in the genus. So basically you you uh, shave off the outer bark really finely, but you, you try not to affect the inner bark. And then there's a process of peeling off the entire inner bark. And that is what the cinnamon is. And then it's dried. And as it dries, it curls up into that, like, you know, iconic cinnamon shape. But before it dries, they take any little pieces that fell off and weren't, like, in one long strip. And they, sh- they slide it into, like, the little curved part. So that's why you sometimes see little bits of cinnamon in the middle. And then it dries for a long time. And then, and then they cut... They, the sticks originally are, like, almost as long as a branch. So, like, several, like, feet long, which is super cool. And then they cut it into the smaller pieces. And I guess, I think another reason why I think I've only had cinnamon cassia is apparently cassia does not, uh, it breaks off into smaller pieces um, more easily. And so like the smaller sticks that we know are, are like, I think generally the, in the past anyway, the, the Sri Lankan cinnamon was traded in longer sticks than, than we know of as like the traditional, maybe oh. three inch long cinnamon stick. It's a super cool process. I'll put a link in the show notes to that video. It's really interesting of like how how it's made, and it's a, a you know very manual process even to this day of how yes. it's collected, which is pretty cool. Okay, why I really chose this plant when I first was like, what plant I'm going to choose? And I was like, oh, Meyer lemon cinnamon. That's got a nice ring to it. Does cinnamon <laughs> mean anything to me? Oh, yes, it does. And I remembered that when I was a kid, it was super super common that my mom made a cinnamon toast at breakfast. And I think this is like a pretty like American childhood thing is to have cinnamon toast. And it's probably more than that, but it's pretty cool. Have you ever had cinnamon toast? I have. Yeah. I got really into making it at some point. Maybe it was in high school. Uh But yeah, when I was just starting to experiment in the kitchen, it was one of the easiest and most satisfying things to make. And I love toast for breakfast. Totally. And I had totally forgot about it until I was started thinking about cinnamon. So I made some today. And yeah, it's super easy. If you never had it, audience, it's just buttered toast with a mixture of cinnamon and sugar sprinkled on the top. And then it melts into the, the butter. And it's really awesome. So I had it for breakfast. I'm gonna start having it for breakfast again. I don't know why I ever stopped. It was such a it was such a thing. So um, yes, I was like, and so you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna so, have thank, to bring it back to. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the inspiration to talk about cinnamon because I totally forgot about that. And then the last little thing is, um, at least when I was a kid, the best cereal you could have was cinnamon toast crunch. Just like you know when, but we weren't really allowed to have junky cereal, as my mom called it, junk cereal. Um, but whenever I could, cinnamon toast crunch was the one, especially the way that it left the milk af- at the end. Oh yeah, so, I mean, just like dessert for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> Um, so that's interesting and then here's a little note I found I think it was on the Wikipedia or some other thing about the history of Cinnamon Toast Crunch it said it was invented by John Mendesh and General Mills assistant product manager Elizabeth Tratch after after receiving the idea from an unnamed child in a give us your best idea for a cereal radio contest held by General Mills the child received a set of Hot Wheels as toys as a grand prize (laughs) so a kid invented it (laughs) <laughs> and all the kid got was Hot Wheels. <laughs> and then this has been like this 
massive cereal brand for the last 40 years. And, uh, and uh, yeah, wow. so there we go. <laughs> so the story of capitalism and cinnamon continues. It does continue. And I wanted to add one thing to that because I remember when I first started my pastry career, I was in a kitchen where we had this spice shelf with every spice you could imagine. And there was a container of cinnamon that was labeled Saigon cinnamon. And oh, yeah. I think it was an attempt now after talking to you, I think it was an attempt to rebrand Cassia. Right? Well, there is a Saigon cinnamon, though. Actually. Oh, there, there is, is a separate there is, one. Yes, there okay. is a different one. And that's, I guess, more, at least in the United States, it's more rare. But I think in Asia, yeah. there's a few other species that are traded as well. And, and ah, Saigon is, um, yeah, you know, the Vietnamese cinnamon is also, I, f- I forget what it's, uh, I'm going to just Google it real quick. Uh, okay. See, Sai, come on, Google, Saigon cinnamon genus. That was me just being cynical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here. Because I remember yeah, no, but... the cinnamon being very intense. It was so Interesting, intense interesting. Spicy. So this says it's yeah, cinnamonum, cinnamonum lorerua, I guess. Um, is So yeah, it's a different one and it, it is, um, it, yeah, I guess it has a different, so it was more spicy, huh? Oh, this is interesting. Yeah. Cinnamon, mm-hmm. uh, Saigon cinnamon contains the second highest amount of coumarin of all the, oh. the cinnamon species. So that might be why. Makes sense. Very interesting. Well, th- yeah, thanks for that note. Um, and thank you for letting <laughs> me share cinnamon with you. Thank you. I learned so much. Our show will be back after these messages. Oh, no. We're out of cinnamon toast crunch. Let's make more. Okay. Bake up a bunch. I'll shake on cinnamon and sugar. I'll give it crunch with my, my, whoop. Whoa. Tastes just like cinnamon toast. With a crunch. It's part of this complete breakfast. It takes me, me, and me. To make cinnamon toast crunch. How many bakers does it really take to make cinnamon toast crunch? From its debut in 1983, Cinnamon Toast Crunch featured three bakers as mascots, but less than a decade later, in 1991, only a baker named Wendell remained. But what happened to the other bakers? Were they fired? Did they leave on their own accord? Or is there something more sinister at play? From Roofbound Productions and This Botanical Life, I'm Steve Ellington, and this is Serial. <laughs> I'm just getting a butt. That is actually a real thing. There used to be three bakers, and then uh, only Wendell did remain. This is true. And I remember, like, back in, way back in high school, uh, like, talking about this, and it was really fun uh, to think of the conspiracies and maybe the foul play that happened (laughs) because the other bakers mysteriously disappeared. And also, coincidentally, after a storyline in the commercials where Wendell went mad for Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So, anyway, I thought I would share that with you, and I couldn't help but make the cereal pun. Uh, Finally, before we wrap up our episode, uh, I got an email from Jess uh, a little bit uh, ago uh, after we recorded, and I just wanted to read that to you. Uh, And it says, Hi, Steve. I forgot to mention I used cinnamon for a foot soak when I was a college student, and it worked really well and was aromatherapy at the same time. 
It cured a bad case of athlete's foot. I must have gotten the infection from using hostile showers during a backpacking trip. I got in the habit of sprinkling cinnamon in my shoes for some time after that incident to keep the bacteria away. I learned about this home remedy from searching the internet. So there you go. Cinnamon for your feet. And I think that's a great way to end this episode. Thanks for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Jess Wong, spelled W-A-N-G if you're Googling. Jess is a fermentation educator and pastry chef. You can learn more about her at her website, picklepickle.co. It's also her Instagram handle. If you like Rootbound and you want to help out the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support to find out all the ways you can help the show. And hey, if you're a new listener, drop me a line, rootboundpodcast at gmail.com. I'd really love to hear from you. Rootbound is hosted by the cinnamon-scented Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lonnie. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, keep your eye out for free Meyer lemons. Or maybe I should call them Beijing lemons or Mandarin lemons. You get the point. Look out for the free lemons. Rootbound gets sponsorship from Leaves, coming to a yard near you this fall. Let's make like a tree and leave. Zzz.